How much will impeachment be discussed during tonight's Democratic debate here in Ohio? The lead starts right now. Key testimony happening right now on Capitol Hill as the House decides whether to impeach President Trump as CNN learns that President Trump's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, is expected to defy a congressional subpoena for documents. And he's not the only one. And breaking today, President Trump sending Vice President Pence to try and clean up the lethal mess made by pulling back U.S. troops in Syria as Russians begin to fill that void and... The main event, it's a debate night on CNN, now with an impeachment inquiry, a virtual tie at the top of the, the, the group, and a candidate recovering from a heart attack. Stay with us. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead, live in Westerville, Ohio, where in just a matter of hours, 12 Democratic presidential candidates will take the stage behind me for tonight's debate right here only on CNN. I'm Jake Tapper. We're going to start this afternoon, however, with breaking news in the politics lead. CNN is learning just moments ago that President Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, will defy a congressional subpoena for documents. I want to get right to CNN justice correspondent Evan Perez. Evan, what's the reasoning here from Giuliani's legal team? Well, Jake, it's it's classic Giuliani bluster. He says that this is an unconstitutional, baseless and illegitimate uh, impeachment inquiry. And he says that the request for information from these three committees that are leading the inquiry uh, was overbroad, that it goes into attorney-client privilege information. And essentially, he's taking the protection that the White House has been offering, which is that they're not going to comply with any any subpoena because they believe that what the Democrats uh, are doing is illegitimate. Now, this letter was sent to the congressional committees this afternoon uh, by John Sale, who is uh, Giuliani's now former attorney. Giuliani uh, is telling us that he has parted ways with John Sale, not at this entire, uh, this inquiry, this part of the the, uh, the interaction with Congress is over in his view. But, uh, we're, you know, we're talking to, to people close to Rudy Giuliani and they're advising him that he needs a real lawyer. He needs an attorney who's going to handle this investigation that is ramping up uh, at the Southern District of New York in Manhattan because there's some real legal problems that he faces as a result of this investigation, Jake. Uh, we're told that uh, at this point Giuliani says that he doesn't really see the need for an attorney. He believes that he is uh, protected uh, because he all the work he was doing, he says, in Ukraine was done at the behest of the president. Jake. Interesting legal argument. Uh, Evan Perez, thanks so much. There have been a number of major developments in the House impeachment inquiry into President Trump over just the last 24 hours. CNN just confirmed that the Office of Management and Budget also does not plan to comply with a congressional subpoena. That deadline was today. And this is just hours after President Trump's one-time advisor on Russia, Fiona Hill, testified behind closed doors at Congress. President Trump's national security advisor at the time, John Bolton, viewed Rudy Giuliani as a, quote, hand grenade, who was going to, quote, blow everybody up. CNN's Alex Marquardt joins me now live. Uh, Alex. Yeah, Jake, we've just gotten word from the OMB that they do not plan to hand over those documents. They are saying that they view this uh, impeachment inquiry as constitutionally illegitimate and is unclear right now whether the OMB has actually sent any notice officially to the impeachment uh, committees. Now, Jake, we should also note that those committees were expecting or had requested documents from both the Pentagon uh, and the Vice President Mike Pence's office. Uh, They have so far, we understand, not received those documents. Now, Jake, uh, as you mentioned, this comes in the wake of this explosive testimony from Fiona Hill, the former top White House advisor on Russia, who said that she was so disturbed uh, by Giuliani's efforts in Ukraine 
that she went to a top White House national security lawyer. It is explosive testimony that shows the president's most senior foreign policy advisors were against what they felt was a rogue drug deal type operation in Ukraine. That operation led by Rudy Giuliani, the president's personal lawyer. This, according to multiple senior officials, the whistleblower, and hours of testimony from multiple witnesses in front of three House committees. Fiona Hill, the White House's former top expert on Russia, telling lawmakers Monday that former National Security Advisor John Bolton called Giuliani a hand grenade, who, according to a source, was going to blow everybody up. Giuliani's operation bothered Hill and Bolton so much that Bolton Bolton told her to speak with a White House lawyer, a source telling CNN she saw wrongdoing related to the Ukraine policy and reported it. The Intelligence and Oversight and Foreign Affairs Committees are gathering uh, a far more detailed and fine-grained portrait of everything that was taking place in Ukraine uh, with Giuliani and uh, with, you know, his henchmen. Giuliani, with the help of two men who have now been indicted on conspiracy and campaign finance violations, has been widely accused of running a shadow diplomacy operation in Ukraine, even pressuring President Trump to recall his ambassador to Ukraine, who is known for her anti-corruption work. Lawmakers are hearing today that these concerns over Giuliani's work to get the ambassador recalled go back to at least March, when top State Department official George Kent, who oversees Ukraine, came to the ambassador's defense over the conspiracies that were being pushed. Before the July 25th phone call between President Trump and the Ukrainian president, when Trump asked for a favor, that President Zelensky work with Giuliani and help investigate the Bidens. The ask that... that Mr. Giuliani is, is making to the Ukraine government is to basically put a political hit on uh, Mr. Trump's main opponent, Joe Biden, uh, to help him in the upcoming 2020 election. You, you cannot do that. Now, what prompted Fiona Hill specifically to go to the White House lawyer at Bolton's suggestion was a meeting on July 10th in which the ambassador to the European Union, Gordon Sondland, which, who is one of the president's top envoys to Ukraine, talked about investigations. Hill understood that to mean investigations into the Bidens. And Hill told lawmakers that these dueling Ukraine policies made for a corruption inside the United States. Jake. All right, Alex Marquardt, thanks so much. Uh, let's talk about this uh, with our experts. Um, Ju- uh, Abby, let me start with you. Um, so Giuliani and the Office of Management and Budget uh, both saying they're not going to comply with congressional subpoenas. So obviously the Trump strategy is just complete and utter stonewall. It has been, but it doesn't seem that it's been a strategy that's been successful so far because Giuliani really at this point is the only one so far that has been willing to defy uh, a a congressional subpoena. Now, Congress has somewhat limited options. They could try to uh, to carry this out in the court system, which they've indicated that they're unwilling to do because of how much time it would take. It might just be rolled into articles of impeachment, but the damage for the White House is already done. Giuliani might might try to stall in this way. He might try to defy Congress. But with the other individuals testifying about this subject matter, it really puts him in a box. And he's very lonely right now in doing what he's doing, following and carrying out the White House's orders on this. And, you know, it's interesting, uh, Maeve, uh, If you go back and look at what Republicans said about the oversight responsibilities of Congress when they were conducting oversight of Obama or Bill Clinton, Mm -hmm. they sounded quite different than they sound 
uh, today when it's oversight uh, by Democrats over a Republican president. Here's Rudy Giuliani back in 1998 uh, talking about presidents and subpoenas. This is during the Clinton impeachment. Take a listen. All the Watergate litigation resolved the fact that the president is not above the law, is not able to avoid subpoenas. But now Rudy Giuliani is trying to avoid a subpoena and he's not even the president. Yeah, it seems the times have changed. There's going to be so many gems like that, I think, certainly because Giuliani was such a public face uh, through all of that. And I think it's going to be very hard for him as more and more information emerges about his role in this and the way in which the president leaned on him uh, to just sort of withdraw and try to hide behind the the screen of, of lawyers that he's bringing on to defend him. I mean, just a week ago, Giuliani was uh, was threatening to go into the Senate and testify yeah, exactly. about Joe Biden. How, how times have changed. It's only been a week and it shows that the pressure is really on. This These revelations are really significant. And Carrie, let me bring you in. Uh, you worked for the Justice Department. The Wall Street Journal is reporting that federal prosecutors are examining Rudy Giuliani's business dealings in Ukraine. Sources telling CNN that associates of Giuliani are are encouraging him to hire a a personal lawyer. What theoretically could he be charged with criminally? Well, what I thought was interesting about that Wall Street Journal report is it described 10 years of work that he's done uh, possibly in Ukraine. And so I think there's a potential avenue of financial crimes that we might be looking at. Um, The individuals that he's associated with who were charged were campaign finance violations and conspiracy. Um, so there's a possibility that that he could be linked into that part of the investigation. But there also is a possibility that given just 10 years of these overseas business dealings, that there is some other financial aspect. Because remember, when his associates were arrested, it was done prematurely so that they didn't leave the United States. And so it's an ongoing investigation. And there may be other aspects of it, particularly on the financial side, that could potentially implicate him. Uh, Phil, let me bring you in. Uh, when, when you look at everything that was laid out in Alex's piece, clearly there was a lot of concern well before that July 25th call with the president of Ukraine about the president's approach to Ukraine. I agree, but I think we're still missing the key piece of the puzzle. We knew from when the transcript of the phone call was released that the president did something inappropriate. That is, encourage a foreign government to collect information about a political arrival. And the president admitted that. He later said publicly, encouraging the Chinese to do the same thing. And we've heard in the past day or two that officials said they were concerned about that. We're still missing what I think is the key piece of the puzzle. That is, people who will come up and testify about whether that was directly linked to releasing money to Ukraine. There's just people confirming the president did something completely inappropriate politically and in foreign policy. He did. Where's the money? That's what I want to know. This is money, lies, and videotape. We want the money. We've heard the lies, and we've seen people on tape already. Where's the money? All right, everyone stick around. We're going to keep talking about this. As we learn, Rudy Giuliani uh, will ignore a congressional subpoena. New information now about how Republican lawmakers are starting to voice concerns about the president's personal attorney. Is he being set up as the fall guy? Plus, we're live here inside the debate hall in Westerville, Ohio, for the Democratic debate that is just hours away. The candidates just finished their final walkthroughs. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. We're back from inside the debate hall here in Westerville, Ohio. We're just hours away from the CNN New York Times Democratic 
presidential debate. And we have some breaking news for you. Rudy Giuliani, the president's personal attorney, has said that he will defy a subpoena from Congress to turn over documents in the House impeachment inquiry. This comes as Republicans are starting to express unease about the president's personal attorney. Let's go to CNN's Lauren Fox on Capitol Hill for us. Lauren, what are you hearing from House Republicans about Giuliani and about his role in this scandal? Well, Jake, as you know, Republicans have vigorously defended the president every step of the way in this impeachment inquiry, but there are growing concerns about his personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, and exactly what he was doing in Ukraine with this so-called shadow diplomacy. One Republican member who we talked to, Francis Rooney, told us, quote, I worry a lot about non-professionals pursuing diplomacy in the name of American diplomacy. And that's a widespread view that we are hearing from not just Republican members, but Republican aides. One aide told me that there's a growing consensus that Rudy Giuliani just needs to go away for a little while because they are trying to craft a very specific message when it comes to this impeachment inquiry, Jake. And the fact that Rudy Giuliani is not only involved in foreign policy in the past, but the fact that he's on one cable news network, then talking to another reporter, it's starting to screw up the message that Republicans are very carefully trying to script. Jake. All right, Lauren Fox, thank you so much. Let's uh, bring in Ross Garber now. He's a lawyer who was lead counsel representing four out of five U.S. governors who have faced impeachment in the last 20 years. Mr. Garber, thanks for joining us. Of all the information that has come out in just the last few weeks, the, the concerns about a quid pro quo voiced by Trump administration official, people inside the administration talking about a, a rogue foreign policy, the whistleblower complaint, which has largely been backed up by the White House transcript or rough transcript of the president's call. How bad do you think things are developing for President Trump right now? I think things are very serious. And, you know, up until uh, probably the middle of last week, I saw a path toward you know, him potentially not even getting impeached by the House, notwithstanding the, the strong Democratic majority there. One thing happened last week that I think is very troubling, and that's the indictment uh, of two associates of Rudy Giuliani. One, because it puts the president's personal lawyer sort of in the spotlight. And two, in that indictment, which was largely about campaign finance issues, there was a reference to these two guys who were indicted, to them uh, acting on behalf of one or more Ukrainian government officials to seek the ouster of the Ukrainian ambassador. Now, we know that's something that Rudy Giuliani worked very hard to accomplish, and we know that's something that the president actually did. And so in all of this, I think that there's a lot of talk about quid pro quo. That's fine. That's all interesting. I think the big question is going to be why. Because if the why yeah. the president took these actions is that he thought, even if misguided, they were good for American policy, you don't get impeached for that. If the why is something more nefarious, that's a problem. And just to be just to be clear, it's a, you're talking about the they were seeking the ouster of the U.S. ambassador exactly. to Ukraine, uh, Masha Yovanovitch, uh, who was somebody who Giuliani was complaining about, uh, was messing up his hope to get information, dirt on on the Bidens. I want to ask you about Fiona Hill. Uh, she's the advisor on Russia from the White House. She resigned a few months ago. Um, she was interviewed yesterday behind closed doors telling uh, the panels uh, that the national security advisor at the time, John Bolton, called Rudy Giuliani a hand grenade who was going to blow everybody up. Uh, that's bad for Giuliani. Uh, does it implicate President Trump, however, who's, of course, the man at the center of the impeachment inquiry? Well, it potentially does. Uh, it, it's important for a couple reasons. One is it showed that there are people inside the White House and inside the administration who are very troubled by what was going on. 
and voice those troubles. So it's not like everybody thought that what was going on was totally okay. There are people who actually voice those troubles, uh, th- those concerns. And then two, they implicate Rudy Giuliani. And the question is, did you know what were Giuliani's communications with the president about this? What was Giuliani trying to accomplish? What were his motives? And then what did he communicate with the president about it? And the fact that he is now uh, involved in a federal investigation is very uh, potentially troubling. If I were the president, I'd be very concerned about that because uh, we saw what happened to the last uh, lawyer for the president who was involved in a federal investigation. He was the guy who said he would take a bullet for the president and ultimately wound up uh, flipping and then testifying. And he's in prison. Michael Cohen, you're talking about. Exactly Republicans, right. um, Republicans and the president are in front of the cameras complaining about the process. Is that what you do when you don't have the facts on your side involving the actual allegation of wrongdoing? You attack the process? Well, I actually think they've got some legitimate concerns about the process. In both the Clinton and the Nixon impeachment processes, uh, there were rights given to the minority. There were rights given to the president's lawyers. They both, both impeachment proceedings actually had the same set of rules. And so I think it's actually not a bad point that they're making uh, that, hey, wait a minute, why aren't we doing it the same way now as we did it then? Uh, I, th- I, think it's a, I think it's a worthwhile point to make. Uh, it has to probably, though, be coupled with sort of a substantive defense. And also it has to be presented in a reasonable way. I'm not sure the White House counsel's uh, letter did, which sort of uh, objected wholesale to all of the activities of the House of Representatives. I think the House Republicans actually do make a good point about having a fair, open process similar to what was uh, what was used in Clinton and Nixon. All right, Ross Garber, thank you so much for your insights. We appreciate it. Coming up, President Trump announced moments ago that he is going to send his vice president and his secretary of state to Turkey to try and work out a deal on Syria after the mess that he arguably caused. But is it too late? You're watching The Lead live from the Democratic debate in Westerville, Ohio. Stay with us. You're looking live inside the debate hall here at Otterbein University in Westerville, Ohio, outside Columbus. We're in just hours. Twelve Democratic presidential candidates will face off. First, though, let's talk about our world lead. President Trump just announced in 24 hours Vice President Pence is going to head to Turkey to attempt to broker a ceasefire between Turkey and Syrian Kurdish forces. It's seemingly an attempt by Pence to clean up what critics are calling President Trump's mess, which now has a body count after the president essentially gave the go-ahead for Turkey to attack the Kurds in northern Syria when he pulled U.S. troops from the region. But don't take my word for it. The president's former ambassador to the coalition to combat ISIS, Brett McGurk, tweeted, quote, Trump administration officials are working overtime to say he never gave the green light to this disastrous gift to ISIS, Russia and Iran. I don't envy them, but it's demonstrably false, unquote. CNN's Boris Sanchez breaks down the White House's scramble over Syria. Facing scathing bipartisan condemnation, President Donald Trump is playing catch-up and clean-up over the rapidly deteriorating situation in Syria as the Turkish military pushes further into the country. Following the removal of U.S. troops from the region, Trump is scrambling to project a harder line on Turkey, announcing harsh economic sanctions on Turkish officials and directly voicing his anger with Turkish President Recep Erdogan during a phone call Monday. We're asking for a ceasefire. We put the strongest sanctions that you can imagine, but they get a lot 
we have a lot in store if they don't uh, if they don't have an impact. Trump today during a Rose Garden ceremony honoring the Stanley Cup champions, also demanding a ceasefire following yesterday's announcement that he would dispatch Vice President Mike Pence and National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien to Turkey to negotiate a peace deal. But this all comes more than a week after President Trump gave Erdogan the green light, sparkling ripples of bipartisan outrage through Washington. Vice President Mike Pence insisting to reporters the administration's moves did not lead to violence. Well, the United States of America did not give a green light to Turkey to invade Syria. Opportunities for us to bring troops home and to have American forces come out of harm's way has always been a priority for this president. But that didn't mean that this president in any way, uh, in any way encourages violence anywhere in the world, let alone along the border between Turkey and Syria. But Trump's tweets last week struck a very different tone, saying, quote, the Kurds fought with us, but were paid massive amounts of money and equipment to do so. They've been fighting Turkey for decades. We will fight where it is to our benefit and only fight to win. Turkey, Europe, Syria, Iran, Iraq, Russia, and the Kurds will now have to figure the situation out and what they want to do with the captured ISIS fighters in their neighborhood. As the White House tries to take back the lead on Syria, an extremely rare bipartisan congressional push to impose much stronger sanctions is moving ahead. Despite this frantic push from the White House, two congressional sources tell CNN that Senators Lindsey Graham and Chris Van Hollen are still planning to move forward with their own package of sanctions against Turkey that are reportedly much harsher than those put forth by the administration, Jake. All right, Boris Sanchez at the White House for us. Thank you so much. Uh, we also have some breaking news in our world. We had a close call for U.S. troops in Syria earlier today when Turkish-backed forces came dangerously close to American service members. Let's go to CNN's Nick Payton Walsh. He's in Iraq. Nick, what happened? Extraordinary that possibly for the second, maybe even third time in a matter of days, we're talking about U.S. troops being close to harm, frankly, because of actions of Turkey or those forces that are representing it. Now, this appears to involve Turkish-backed forces coming near a base west of Ain Issa. Um, there are a number of bases there, some large ones, actually, for the Americans near the town of Kobani. Unclear which one this occurred near. But this force was large enough and approached near enough in violation of the agreements that the U.S. official I spoke to says they have with Turkey and its forces to stay away from them, that they, in fact, the U.S. had to call in air power in a show of force, which they said de-escalated the situation. Shots weren't fired, but uh, the channel they used with Turkey it seems to have to be used as well to get these forces to pull back. In the past, U.S. officials have described some of these Syrian rebels fighting for Turkey on the ground as mostly extremists, former ISIS, former Al-Qaeda. And one person I spoke to, a uh, U.S. official, said it's fair to talk about these uh, particular group approaching the base as something like that, suggesting perhaps they were trying to chase them out of town. Everyone knew the Americans are leaving. This was added pressure. Jake? Nick, the void left in Syria by U.S. service members is being filled by those who are clearly hostile to the United States, the, the Russian army, Assad's Syrian army, even ISIS. 
Absolutely. I mean, ISIS, we know, will be looking for the vacuum, looking for its detainees to be released, looking for displaced to get out of camps, and we're trying to congeal around whatever mess is left in their wake. But things have been moving incredibly fast. We heard today that Turkish-backed forces have moved down the main highway, uh, which seems to separate the territory they want to that which the Syrian regime, now with the new allies, the Syrian Kurds, uh, taking on, and Russian military police seem to be acting as the buffer in between these two forces to try and de-escalate things. The U.S. leaving and no longer having influence in areas they used to have free range in, Jake. All right, Nick Payton Walsh in uh, northern Iraq. Thank you so much. Stay safe, my friend. Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden facing off tonight for the first time as 2020 frontrunners, co-frontrunners. Will they target each other or find themselves the targets of the rest of the field? You're watching The Lead live from the Democratic debate in Westerville, Ohio. Stay with us. We have breaking news for you in our politics lead, President Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, reacting just moments ago after announcing he's not going to cooperate with a congressional subpoena for documents in the impeachment investigation. Giuliani tweeting, quote, I will not participate in an illegitimate, unconstitutional and baseless, quote, impeachment inquiry. John Sale, who is a lifelong friend, has represented me for the sole purpose of analyzing the request and responding at this time. I do not need a lawyer, he said. Let's turn now to our 2020 lead. Moments ago, the 12 presidential candidates taking the stage behind me finished their final walkthroughs. It will be a night of firsts, the first time for this many candidates to be on one debate stage at the same time in American history, as far as we know. The first time the Democratic presidential hopefuls face off since the impeachment inquiry began. And the first time Elizabeth Warren is taking the stage in such a strong position, leading the field in a virtual tie with Joe Biden. Uh, Let's chat about this. Uh, Karen, let's start with the Warren uh, Biden dynamic, do you expect them to draw sharp contrasts with each other? I do, although if I were Biden, I would not worry about Warren and just try to focus on talk, my message and Trump, because given that she's coming in as the front runner, you can expect, we already know that Mayor Pete wants to take her on and have this conversation about Medicare for all. Stay out of the way of that. Let that happen. And you just stay in your lane and do your thing. And I, I know that uh, your group hasn't uh, endorsed, although you, you, you personally both like, uh, like both Warren and Sanders. Is there concern? Um, we're all obviously wishing Bernie Sanders the best in his recovery from a heart attack. And arguably he's in better health now that he's had the procedure than, than two or three weeks ago. But is there concern about his performance tonight, his stamina, how he's going to do? Well, I think he absolutely needs to bring energy, but I think he needs to do the same thing that Bernie Sanders has always done, which is for the past 30 years, he has been the most consistent and authentic voice on that stage, fighting for solutions and has the sort of clarity around the scale, scope and urgency of them. Uh, So that's what he needs to bring. I think he needs to show that he's still in it. And we can't forget that he's uh, it's not just a small change, as Pete Buttigieg puts it. He's got 25 million on hand with an average contribution of less than 20 bucks. And that's an army of people behind him and people need to take that seriously. A lot of lot of fundraising. Uh, and Paul, Elizabeth Warren has really not been hit in any of yeah. these debates. You've seen uh, Pete Buttigieg and others have criticized her here and there for things like not being open about the fact that her plan for Medicare for all would would raise taxes, although the overall cost would go down because premiums, et cetera, would be eliminated. Um, does she need to show that she can take a punch? Yes, but so far she has shown that she can slip a punch. The moderators have done their jobs, including you, Jake. Sorry to suck up, but they've come at her with some very tough questions. You never have to apologize for that. (laughs) But she's just got a lot of talent. She does. And and I do think that she's in a really interesting position because I don't think she needs to go after Joe Biden because they draw from a different well. It's very hard to go after Bernie, as Alexander points out. You know, he's recovering from a heart attack. 
Uh, so that's going to be kind of tough. Uh, I actually, free advice to Bernie, it's a perfect opportunity for Bernie to humanize both himself and his issues. He's great talking about the policy, but sometimes I think... He's uncomfortable talking about himself. He should yeah. say, I put the me in Medicare. Right. Right? <laughs> I'm all heart. Right? Some, so a little bit of humor and right. humanizing. And, and uh, we, I'm so glad he's doing better. But, you know, that's, that's a moment I think they were, everybody's rooting for him. But I don't think that, that we should underestimate how big a deal this is for voters. Just, uh, you know, being out the last couple of days, running around Ohio, talking to voters, there are a lot of questions about his stamina, whether he can make it uh, through the long haul. And especially as as voters are getting more and more concerned about President Trump, the question of really who is the most viable person to take on uh, Donald Trump next year. So I do think he, uh, Sanders will have to do a lot to to make it clear to people that he's being forthcoming about his health mm-hmm. and there not being any issues in the future. I mean, you remember this being such an issue with McCain, for example, where it kind of creeps into the back of voters' minds and they start to think more about age and who's the best person to take him on. Let's talk about uh, another topic that's definitely going to come up tonight, which is uh, Joe Biden's son, Hunter, who's been the target of President Trump's attacks for for weeks. Uh, first of all, before we get to what Hunter said to ABC News today, we should note President Trump's attacks against Hunter Biden and Joe have been full of lies. Uh, and so that's that's just a fact. But it also is just a fact that this kind of board appointment to the son of a sitting vice president is something that a lot of good government groups take issue with. Right. Um, so Hunter Biden did an interview with ABC News. He tried to dismiss any questions about his time on the board of a Ukrainian gas company uh, during his father's vice presidency. Take a listen. What do you say to people who believe this is exactly why people hate Washington. A vice president's son can make money in countries where your father is doing official no, government by business. The way, well, I, I don't know what to tell you. I made a mistake in, um, in, in retrospect as it related to um, creating any um, perception that, that was wrong. And so, therefore, I'm taking it off the table, Amy. Ukrainian prosecutors have said that they know of no evidence of any criminal wrongdoing by Hunter or by Joe. But Amy Rolbach in that interview is right. This does look swampy. Uh, Dare any Democrat bring this up in the debate? I don't think so. And I think what Democrats have done in the last couple of weeks has been smart, which is drawing the contrast between the kind of administration they would run in terms of ethics and what what role their children might play, either inside or outside, versus with Trump. And, you know, Hunter, I thought, was fine in that interview. He was he was himself. It was unpolished, which I think that's who he is, which I think was a good thing. You know, and his point about you're right, it's it may seem swampy, but can we also remember this happened years ago? So and people at the time did express some concern. But, you know, I think there's a difference between what is happening right now in this moment with impeachment, with what we're learning every single day, and the very real questions we have about the Trump children, than something that happened years ago where there's been no wrongdoing proven. Biden now has a whole talking point on his ethics plan that he can talk about. So on the subject of the Trump children, Donald Trump Jr. tweeted in response to Hunter Biden's interview, quote, dumpster fire at Biden HQ. It is impossible for me to be uh, or any of the boards I just mentioned, on uh, any of the boards I mentioned, without saying that I'm the son of the vice president of the U.S. I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that if, uh, that if my name wasn't Biden, Hunter Biden. So Donald Trump Jr. quoting Hunter Biden, acknowledging that things came his way because of his father. Your response? I just, God bless Donald <laughs> Trump Jr. Just, just bless his little heart. 
and I, I, it just because it's just it's just indescribably stupid for him to inject himself into this story when he has business deals all around, when he has uh, tra- traveled and, and promoted uh, his his company, his father's company, his eponymous company. It's just it's just maddening. I, I think what 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 his father does that's very ingenious and evil is he finds where you're most vulnerable. You know, I don't need to tell you, Joe Biden has buried a daughter and a son and a, and a wife, and family's the most important thing in his life. And so he takes it, picks on a member of, of Joe's family. Joe's got to resist answering in kind. I wouldn't advise Joe to attack Donald Trump Jr. Focus on the president. Joe's greatest calling card is I'm the guy that can beat Trump. So when you hear Hunter, there's seven things you do. Attack, 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 attack. But attack Trump, not his kids. All right, everyone stick around. We've got more to talk about with 12 Democrats on the debate stage behind me tonight. Who is most likely to throw a punch? We're going to go live inside the debate hall in Westerville, Ohio. Stay with us. We're here in Ohio just hours from the Democratic presidential debate hosted by CNN and The New York Times. The first debate with this brand new dynamic, no clear front runner. Senator Elizabeth Warren and former Vice President Joe Biden are essentially neck and neck. Let's discuss. Uh, first of all, Alexander, let me ask you, this is also the first debate since the Democrats in the House launched the impeachment inquiry. If you were advising a candidate, how much would you want them to talk about the impeachment inquiry and, and President Trump versus I don't know, bread and butter issues, jobs, wages, health care. Well, I think it's a moment for folks in the field that have been leading on this, right? Castro was the first to come out for it. Elizabeth Warren followed. Beto's been doing it for a while. So I think it's a moment for folks on stage that have been championing it and have had the foresight and I think vision of why we need to hold the highest level of office accountable. Um, and I think that uh, they should bring it up because it's something that on voters' minds, right, is who is the best candidate to defeat Donald Trump. And one of the best ways I think that uh, you're going to show that you're actually going to be able to do that is by talking about the very real investigation that's going on right now. And Maeve, you've been talking to Ohio voters. This used to be a swing state. We have right. no idea if it's going to be anymore. I mean, it went for Obama twice. It went for Trump by eight points, I think. Yes. Um, what do you think? What do you think would benefit these candidates here more just based on having talked to voters? Do they want to hear about wages and health insurance and, and all that? Or do they want to hear about who can beat Trump? As well, Alexander I, suggests? I think that they they need a lot of the voters that I talk to seem to need more clarification on what actually happened um, on Ukraine. I mean, I, I went around talking to people and there seems to be still be a lot of confusion out there about whether this is somehow tied to the Russia investigation, with many people thinking that that didn't yield much. So clearly the Democrats haven't had a very clear message about this so far, about why this moment is different in the impeachment inquiry. And I think also there's a lot of trepidation, particularly in Ohio, with people saying, I want someone other than Trump, but these guys, all of them, seem so liberal to me, and ideas like Medicare for all seem so far out there that people feel uncomfortable um, about who they're going to support next year. And so I think, you know, extending a bridge to those people in the middle would be something helpful that the candidates could do tonight, particularly for those independents who are increasingly peeling away from President Trump. Do you agree? Yes. And I think Mayor Pete is going to position himself to do that. He's sort of indicated that this week. I think he's exactly right. You hear that from voters a lot. I want to fire the president, even if I voted for him, right? I want to change but it just give me somebody acceptable. And, and Mayor Pete has tried to drive into that lane. Joe Biden's been occupying it. And by the way, he started out at 28% the day he announced. Today, 28%. 
So he's got an endurance that uh, I certainly underestimated and maybe others. But I think Mayor Pete is the one who's going to try to make that case that I'm actually the better acceptable alternative. Uh, I'm from the Midwest. I'm young. Right. Did you know he actually served in, in combat? He was in Afghanistan. <laughs> right. Not in combat, but right. in a war in, zone. In a war yeah. zone. Yeah. And I would just caution, though, that I think electability isn't just about moderation. It's also about motivation. And a lot of the people that we need to turn out that did not turn out in 2016, but did turn out in 2012 and 2008, need to show up. And so I think part of that is by inspiring them to do that. And that's the big debate about uh, going after progressives versus sure. trying to go after former Trump voters. Absolutely. Look, Warren should be reminding people that a white woman has already beat Trump, right? Once. Not, so we've, they've already done it once. They've voted for a white woman. The popular it, vote. It can be, hey, I'll take it. <laughs> um, but at the same time, she, I think, needs to do a better job and do more to explain Medicare for all. Because actually, a lot of the polling data shows that when people learn more about what it really means, they like it more. So, she, And she's got big, bold ideas. And I think part of what people are a little afraid of is are, are we ready for that kind of change, right? Because some people voted for Trump because they wanted change, and now they say that's not the kind of change I wanted. Well, well he certainly shakes things up. He's well, I was going to say, I think, uh, to prove Elizabeth Warren's point, I think the ascension there, uh, she's building a movement to get yeah. it done. So. All right, thanks one and all. Appreciate it. Don't go anywhere. The historic Democratic presidential debate hosted by CNN and The New York Times is just a few hours away. Twelve candidates facing off starting at 8 p.m. Eastern right here on CNN. Our live coverage from the CNN New York Times debate site rolls on. Stay with us. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 